This is Coda Radio, episode 278 for October 9th, 2017. everyone and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. But that, that's not what's important because Mr. Dominic is on the line and I have been missing him for weeks. My name is Chris. He's our host. Hello, Mike! And where in the world is Mr. Fisher? I missed you. What did what, what, what I, I'm right here in front of the microphone. I I I traveled across the country to be here to talk to you. It was important to me. It was that important to me. Mr. Dominic, I've missed you. West did a great job. Thank you right off the top to Mr. Payne. You know, it really is hard to understand because this is like no other gig. Like you can't take an online course on how to host a podcast. Uh, you can't like just go to like class for a few years. You just got to learn by doing. And there's nothing like jumping in the hot seat of a show that has an established audience. So you don't have the luxury of like screwing around for years in, in obscurity. <laughs> so Wes really has to jump in the hot seat. And I really appreciate that he nails it every single time. Check him out as, at Wes Payne or uh, on the TechSnap program or on the Linux Unplugged program. And on a future user air too, I believe. All over the place that Wes Payne. He's really kind of a podcasting mogul. I don't know if you noticed. Bit of a machine. Classy guy, too. I went to, uh, to Siegel with him on Friday, just a couple of days ago, and uh, he gave a talk on closure, or closure, and uh, it was a hit. People came up and gave him lots of compliments afterwards. He'd, he'd given a lot of thought to it. He had a good outline for it. So he's just, I just, I just love that West Payne. So it was great to have him on the show, and uh, here you two go at it. Of course, you were horribly wrong about so many things. Just painfully so, painfully so. So if time allows, in this episode of the program, uh, I'm going to attempt to save you and make your business profitable to, to an nth degree and let you capitalize on a segment that nobody's taking seriously yet, one that you yourself disregarded two episodes ago in, uh, in uh, two episodes ago with, with Wes. I was shocked when I heard it. I was shocked, and I'm here to save you. I'm here to save you in particular and perhaps inform the audience about something that they may be wrong about as well. So it's a good episode. I'm glad to be back specifically so I can save you, Mike, if if time allows. But uh, there nope. is – what? You, were you just shocked or were you both shocked and appalled? Uh, I was a gasp and uh, also I lulled. I lulled a little. Oh. I, yeah, yeah. I quoted my favorite moments in the Slack. Uh, so my uh, – so, but my, I thought we got to do this hoopla though because there is like a – there is like a – this is closing the loop on the story here on the Coda Radio program. Microsoft is essentially officially – calling it quits with Windows 10 Mobile. They say no more features, no more hardware. They're no longer focused. They'll work on they'll security support them for the end of life, though. Uh, and in fact, uh, Joe Belfort, which is like the chief spokesperson from Microsoft, who's always up on stage with the great haircut, t- uh, talking about Windows Phone, he himself has switched away from Windows Phone. He announced on Twitter this week. Uh, he says they'll continue to support the platform, bug fixes, security updates, but building new features and hardware will no longer be the focus. And then he tweets about something that really resonated with me, Mike. He says, we have tried very hard to incent app developers. We paid money. We wrote the apps for them. 
but the volume of users was too low for most companies to invest. That's from Joe Belfort right there. Plus, yeah. he's, he's just straight up admitting in a tweet that they, they paid money and they even wrote the apps for them. Like, he's just straight up, like, remember when that was a thing? It was, like, a little controversial? And now he's just, like, admitting it. Remember, remember when they used to deny it? Like, oh, we don't do that. We no, help. No. Technical assistance. Uh, this is, um, I mean, obviously was coming. I don't think it's shocking, but it's, um, it's a little un-Microsoft to pivot so soon, in a sense. You know, to give up. I guess it's been so years. So soon. Windows yeah. Phone 8's been effectively dead for a while. Yeah. 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 So uh, there we go. There's the passing of... Now it really is a Coke and Pepsi world for at least a little while. Meanwhile, yeah, Libram's, the, the Libram 5 is uh, damn near completely funded right now. That that uh, uh, Linux run and Freedom Phone. Uh, you can go in the same drawer as all the other Kickstarter stuff. Oh, Joe. Whoa. Wow. 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 So what do you thought? Any parting thoughts for the old uh, Windows platform about how they're exiting this? What do you think they did wrong? Was it just purely down to timing or was it was it Windows? What went? I mean, now that we can sit here with some hindsight, if you were really going to just attribute it to a couple of things, what do you think it was? Why didn't why didn't they pull this off? Yeah. So, you know, I found the whole WinRT Windows platform thing pretty exciting. At yeah. Yeah, ironically, you thought that was a, a, a you know a potential winner if you just looked at it on on its face, and I kind of agreed. Like if they could have made that transition, that could have been a winner. You know, it's it's pretty obvious that timing was a factor, but mm-hmm. I, I would I would even add that they this is going to be terrible, but they they kind of needed to make their own phone at the beginning. And get their enterprise sales team out there selling it into businesses, right? And then those businesses would would not have, you know, they would have then developed their internal software for Windows Phone, not for iOS. Interesting. It, it, you're, 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 what you're saying is really the major factor was they didn't build their own. They didn't do a top-to-bottom solution. They did the OEM yeah. licensing. I, I think part of the problem is, that, you know, their one beachhead into the market would have been enterprise. I think what double, I think what proves your point is look at Google's now even more investment in the Pixel platform. That's cause the same thing. That's a, a solution they own top to bottom. Right. And also Google, I'm sure they see that like education is a pretty strong frontier for them, right? Um, but you know, I don't see a lot of companies clamoring for like Android, you know, native applications for their their systems because they're basically buying iPhones. Well, what gets me really about the success of the iPhone versus the Windows platform is the iPhone required that you bought a Mac to develop for it. Still does. And that seemed like that would be the biggest hurdle of all. Well, you know, great, this will be a great little phone for Mac users. And then it turned out the whole industry was willing to buy Macs to develop for this thing. And I thought that would always going to be, I thought Microsoft's Windows home turf advantage, their dominance in the marketplace, the fact that most Fortune 50 and Fortune 500 companies uh, run Windows, seemed like it was going to be a slam dunk for them because they would just start developing on the platforms they were running. But they actually bought Macs. You and I both know it's really easy to drunkenly wander into an Apple store and buy a Mac. Accusations, sir. Accusations. I like to toil online for hours and hours drunk, not going to the store. Ah, so you go to Reddit. (laughs) I like to actually what I do, Mike, is I spend a disproportionate amount of time really seriously considering a Hackintosh. And I 
I build right. I build like three or four different Hackintosh builds on Newegg, validate the build, go check out Dan Benjamin's Hackintosh method, make sure it's like saying against his, and then like really consider it. And then at the end, I go, oh, it's not worth it. It's not, I can't do it. It's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, anyways, I guess I don't really have anything more to say about it. Uh, this first part of the show is going to be a little mobile radio. Because uh, I have a couple of other things I thought maybe we could talk about, but they're just sort of like things to touch on the continue story threads that we've talked about on the show. So do give time because it won't all be mobile. But do you uh, do you have any anything in you regarding the Pixel, the new Pixel Two and where Pixel the 2 hell is my headphone jack? Yeah, that's gone. Yeah, that's gone. Well, you know what though? That's terrible. It is an open. Uh, it's an open interface that you can do a lot of interesting programmatic things with. And people are just ripping it out in the name of thinness. Yeah, I do actually think it's a little bit. It's it is too bad. It was a nice way to get like extra accessories, like the square card reader and stuff like yeah. that, that. And there's other really neat things people do with that. Um, and I I don't I'm not a defender of the removal, but it just seems like a foregone conclusion, I guess, at this point. Unfortunately, it's interesting that they also announced uh, their own AirPod knockoffs at the same time. It's like a one-two. We take away the headphone port, and oh by the way, we have new wireless headphones. Seems to be the way you do it now. Um, that's a good model, right? That's like the Apple model, I suppose. Well, there is some good news regarding the Pixel, and I want to get to that in just a moment. But first, let me thank Linux Academy for sponsoring this here show. And let me thank you for going to linuxacademy.com slash coders to support the show. And you can sign up there for a free seven-day trial of Linux Academy. Linux Academy is a platform to learn about Linux and all the technology stacks around it. A full-featured training library with everything you're going to need. With uh, instructors, if you ever get stuck on a particular topic, and hands-on labs to give you real experience, and course schedulers that can help you stick to a time frame even when you're busy, and set some learning goals along the way. Flashcards that are randomized to help you study and also get forked by the community, and that community is full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. They have uh, offline stuff too, which is nice when you want to maybe go on a road trip and you're going to be in the passenger seat for a bit and you're not sure what your internet connection is going to be. Did that recently. It's really nice because they have iOS and Android apps, but they also just have study guides and tools and lesson audio that you can just download and listen offline. And then when you are online, you can SSH into systems that you choose the distribution, the courseware, and the systems match that. If you want to take some AWS or Azure courseware, they have, uh, they have really good stuff on that. If you've got to do a deep dive into OpenStack, this is your place to do it. And if you just want to learn the fundamentals of Linux, Linux Academy has that as well. They're adding new content all the time. Those human beings are available to help when you need it. You get constant value out of your subscription. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go there, sign up, support the show, and get a free seven-day trial linuxacademy.com slash coders and a big thank you Linux Academy for sponsoring Coder Radio Pro. So, I've been pretty hard on Google about their update policies even around the Nexus devices and around the Pixel devices and I think they've fallen short historically with all of them. Uh, but they did make a, um, a reasonable improvement with the Pixel 2 that I thought I should mention because it's, it's a step in the right direction. Google says it will now update Pixels, the new ones, and I believe new ones going forward as well, for three years at a minimum. That's for both the OS and security updates. So now instead of two years, you're going to get three years out of a Pixel phone, which helps that price a little. You know, that makes that price a little more swallowable because uh, I get a lot of value out of uh, hand-me-down devices to the kids or to employees. It's really nice, or, you know, uh, even other family members, to have phones that are still moderately nice that get updates for a couple of years that I can give them is... Well, it's just I, I, it gets a, it's a whole other level of value I get out of these devices. So I really appreciate that Google's actually extending that a bit. You're going to get one, Mike, right? You're going to get the XL? 
going to get that XL because it's got the, the lesser of the Bezels? Uh, no, I'm getting in uh, a different X, possibly. You know, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you sit on this show and you shit all over that thing for weeks. And then and then you're like, oh, I'm going to get it anyways. I heard you recently. I could tell the tide was turning because you said, well, I'm going to get one for the wife. And it's like, yeah, I'm getting it for the wife. But I'm like, oh, yeah, he's going to get two. He's going to get two is what he's yeah. going to do. <laughs> uh, I think you're totally wrong about everything regarding the iPhone 10 anyway. So I'm looking forward to you trying it and seeing if that's true or not. I, th- I can't so- wait for Face ID. Um, yeah, oh, well, I'm definitely going to say that I'm going to disable Face ID. You see, I'm definitely one of the things going you, one it. of the things I don't think I think maybe you missed is that the iPhone 10 has a Face ID or all biometrics dis- disable kill switch, and you can mash the yeah. buttons five times on the side of the phone, and it will disable all biometrics. That's sweet, which is great. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think you know, driving um, a lot recently. And like having to contort my body and my thumb to get my, to get on my thumbprint reader while it's in a car holster with a case and a and a charger plugged in and it's doing the nav and like having to like do that constantly when it was like right in front of my face I kept thinking boy this is going to be a lot nicer when I have Face ID and I had to do that probably two hundred times on the road trip um, and but, then so but you see the difference is unlike you I'm not just being a huge Apple fanboy. Wow! Um, wow! I wow. need to I need to test it on that new screen, which is with this red. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Oh yeah, well, yeah. and totally different colors, and totally just it's a to, it's a totally different iPhone screen than they've ever made before. Absolutely. Yeah, that's actually going to be really interesting. How you know picky, picky PSD like really finicky Photoshop. Yeah. Now you're dealing with an OLED screen, but not everything is OLED. And there's going to be like few OLED devices in the market. Right, yeah. Um, I, I can see a lot of weird situations where you're you're kind of optimizing for one screen or the other. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be curious to see what it's like to watch JB content with the notch. Um, I find that the more controversial a device, like a major key mobile device is, the more likely I'm going to get it. Uh, so like when they yeah. drop the button, uh, and they made, they went to a solid uh, haptic feedback. I had to try that because everybody was shitting all over that. And Everybody's was, talking about it. Yeah, and, now with they, and when they dropped the headphone port, I wanted to see how bad is that really. And you know what? I come back from it. I still am a year into it. Still miss the headphone. <laughs> I'm going to say, I still miss it. I still miss it. Yeah. No, I, I think this whole drop the headphone jack yeah. thing. And now it's Face ID though, right? But now it's Face ID. It's the same thing with Face ID and the no button and the notch. Like it's the same stuff all over again. I don't know. There is something that I don't think you've talked about that I'm just curious to get your thoughts before we move off of uh, uh, iOS. Uh, the EFF is trying to pressure Apple into changing the new behavior in iOS 11, where when you toggle off Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, it doesn't actually turn it off. So on the on the iPhone devices, uh, you Android users have had this for way longer, where you swipe down from the top and you could turn off your some of your wireless radios, especially the Samsung devices, had it for ages. Well, Apple, a couple of OSs ago, started putting that in a little tray when you swipe up from the bottom. And in all of the releases until iOS 11, if you tap the Wi-Fi or you tap the Bluetooth, it actually turned the chips off. So it was a nice way to save battery. And it was a, if you're going through a hostile territory... Um, Mike, I don't know if you know, but while I was in New York, uh, they announced that there was an attacker in the Hyatt Hotel going after folks on iOS 10 with an iPhone 7 because there was a specific vulnerability in the Broadcom firmware, which is exactly the phone I had. And so the solution was update to iOS 11 or turn off your Wi-Fi. So everybody in the conference room, when they made the announcement, swipes up on their phone and taps that little Wi-Fi button. And if they're on iOS 11, well, they weren't actually vulnerable. But if they had been, they wouldn't have been disabling their Wi-Fi. What actually happens is it toggles it off in the UI, 
But the Wi-Fi right. chips and the Bluetooth and the radios all remain on for Apple services. The location's still enabled. You still have a Bluetooth connection to your Apple Watch. If you got a pencil, there's a Bluetooth connection to that. Uh, handoff and instant hotspots stay on. All of that remains on. The actual Wi-Fi remains active. Uh, and you have to really go way down into settings to, to, turn, to turn them off. It's not obvious. And there's no UI indication that that's the case. And so the EFF is petitioning Apple to uh, change that behavior. Now, what do you think? Is that? I know sometimes you think about this stuff from a security standpoint. I know that's one of the reasons you're concerned about Face ID. Uh, yeah, that's think terrible, that? right? I mean, yeah. So having the Bluetooth connection not turn off when the off button is in the off position is uh, a weird situation I never thought we'd actually be in. Now, if I think you actually uh, go into settings and you actually toggle that little slider switch, it does turn it off. But if you do it yeah, in the so, little control center and yeah. toggle it off, it's it, the radio stays on. And so it would be conceivably available for new connections, I, I think, or maybe maybe it doesn't accept new connections in I that state. I think what it is is it won't, won't make a new, it won't pair uh, okay. to a new device. Yeah. So it's not visible, but it will retain the connections of the existing. I don't this like is that. what I, how I think it works. But like no, that. no, no, that that that's not how it should work, right? It should be if the if the interface is off, there should be no connections. Right, yeah, and the, yeah. the, the transmitter should just be yeah. off. Yeah, and plus that's one way to manage battery life. That's one of like the physical actions. Well, that's one content. of my go-to moves, right? Turn off Bluetooth, right? It's like my first thing. Yeah. All right, so uh, I got to save you a little bit. I got a I got a money making idea. So you know, you, you save me. Yeah. You just sort of sometimes you. I don't blame you because you don't know when you're not involved in a space. It's hard to have perspective on if it's maybe improving or if it's stagnant. And uh, when you were on with Wes, you uh, you sort of laughed at him for having some interest in HomeKit automation. Uh, in fact, you scoffed. You HomeKit, he says. You laugh at him, Mike. And uh, I actually I want to take a moment and say I think it's a huge opportunity because I think you'll agree that if you nail an Apple product cycle and you implement a feature that they're excited about at the right time – it can make real money for a developer if they get featured properly in the App Store. And the HomePod is just around the corner for December, and one of its key features is going to be HomeKit integration. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to change HomeKit in a big way for the Apple ecosystem because presently HomeKit control is strictly on the phone or on the watch or on the Apple TV. <clears throat> there's, there's no real multi-user HomeKit setup, so like my kids don't all have iPhones, so they can't they can't control all the HomeKit devices. They have to ask me to do it. Whereas if everything was going through an Echo, they they bark at the Echo for all kinds of stuff, and uh, they yeah. could control it. So the HomePod is going to bring this uh, Echo like functionality to the Apple HomeKit ecosystem. Now, back in June, Apple removed the requirement to become certified by them to be in the HomeKit ecosystem, and now it can be done via software, and it's much simpler. And since then. A lot of developers like like LifeFix and Hughes and uh, Schlage and a bunch of other ones have uh, retroactively now implemented HomeKit support in their existing hardware. And so uh, a new range of HomeKit devices have become available over the summer. It has been the summer of HomeKit. And um, so where is my – so I'll tell you right now. Myself, I have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine HomeKit devices – that I manage uh, in my RV. And it's everything from water leak sensors, temperature sensors, thermostats, uh, heaters, obviously, lights, um, those kinds of things that uh, are, it's really great because I can set conditions. I make sure all the heaters are turned off by 9 a.m. All the heaters go off. 
Uh, and I can th- when it when the house gets when the RV gets below sixty five degrees, I can have them. There's a lot of little things like that that I can do. But there's also a lot of security things like I have motion detection and cameras that are all integrated. <clears throat> and the thing is, is it's not bad. But what HomeKit really is is a database. It's a it's a series and a tracking system that takes that takes care of a lot of the muck that you normally have with these home automation devices. You typically have to download an app from the uh, vendor on your phone. You have to then uh, plug the new device into your power. It turns on. It creates its own Wi-Fi access point. You then join that Wi-Fi access point from your phone. Then the app can now communicate with your new device. You then create an account and sign up on their services when you switch back over to your main Wi-Fi. Then you switch back over and transfer that information to the IoT device, and then you link it to your, your Echo account. And then, you, and then you install a skill on your Echo to manage it, and now you can talk to it. And that's the basic setup process for a lot of these IoT devices. With HomeKit, everything has a... QR like it's prettier than that. <clears throat> a QR code on the back of it. You scan that with the HomeKit app and it's immediately set up and it's in your system. And all of your devices that are hooked up over iCloud, be it the Apple TV or an iPad or an iPhone, all immediately can control it. And anybody in your family group can control it too. Instantly, no switching Wi-Fi networks, and it's all offline, doesn't get paired to anybody's cloud connected account. You don't have to connect to their API and, and get a token. None of that. It's all controlled locally on the phone. And it works pretty good, but HomeKit, the app itself, the Home app, is really a basic bitch app. And there's not a lot going on there. And there is a ton of space for innovation around automating these HomeKit devices. And all of the stuff is there in HomeKit. All of the triggers and the timing and the actions you can take. And the Apple HomeKit documentation is really clear and explicit about this stuff. And so all of the plumbing is done for you. It just needs nice UI on top of it to manage some of these basic settings. Like, I have a couple of different apps, and it feels like stuff that was created when iOS first started having apps. Like, the UI is horrible, and it, it, it's really complicated with lots of submenus for setting temperatures and setting lights and creating actions, and it, it could be much more elegant. And the the other thing that's really nice about it is there's a space to integrate with hardware, too. So you could you could have these apps that don't depend on the hardware because they just depend on HomeKit. But if you integrate hardware with it, you can add additional functionality. So I think it's a huge opportunity because there's nobody really taking advantage of this stuff, but the hardware vendors have arrived. And with iOS 11, they've made, they've made a lot of improvements with this stuff and like, like just really kind of all coming together. And it's a, it's, I think it's kind of a, it's an undersold system. Everybody's talking about the Echo or the Google Home. And I think what the, the biggest limitation for the HomeKit platform is how heavily it is dependent on the iOS ecosystem. Like if you want some of the remote automation and uh, centralized control uh, and remote polling of Bluetooth devices, you have to have an Apple TV or an iPad in the home all the time. There are ways around it. In fact, I'm going to talk about some of those in a little bit, but I'd say that's the biggest downside right now. But for a lot of people that are investing in like a home automation system, that's just part of the cost. uh, One of the things that initially turned me on to HomeKit was I was researching what RV and home manufacturers were doing for built-in home automation. And a lot of them are going this route because it's all working before before, uh, like Comcast ever shows up to hook up the internet. So you can tour the house with no internet and all of this home automation stuff is working and they just install an iPad to the wall. And that's their solution. Like, this is your hub, and this is you don't, you don't think of this as an iPad. Think of this as the control panel for your home automation system. And if you get your mindset in, like that, it's a little more palatable. But there, there are 
There are other solutions I'll talk about in a moment. But if you look at home care right now, and I'm going to link to some news feeds, it's every day right now there's news. Every single day there's news about HomeKit, new devices, new companies coming on board. Uh, I think it, I think there could be opportunity here, Mike. Have I persuaded you in the slightest? Uh, well, certainly I think if you wanted to do like a investment in something new and daring, that might be it. My concern with HomeKit is basically it requires people who aren't living in new houses to buy a whole bunch of new hardware. A bit, yeah. I mean, well, it's essentially the way I do it is when I get something new anyways, I just get one that works with HomeKit. So when I got a security camera, I just got one that worked with HomeKit. And when I get a light bulb, I just get a light bulb that works with HomeKit. So it's sort of, that's how I, as I replace stuff or I add stuff, that's how I do it. Because I still have lots of stuff that's on switches and whatnot. See, I think the challenge for me is I could see a world where like you're building a new hotel and you have a bunch of you know connected devices and in that case home kit's really cool but you know you, I could, you think about all the things you do right like I, what is it the is it the hilton hotels that are now putting alexa in there mm-hmm. for this kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah same idea now are you, one of the things i know you were concerned about is the cost of the accessories i want to point you to right. this i have one of these it's a it's koo geek k-o-o geek and it's a multicolor home kit light bulb there's no hub you just put the light bulb in a socket it's $36. It's an LED light bulb. It gets nice and bright. It has the whole color spectrum. It just screws right into the light bulb socket. You connect. It comes with a HomeKit sticker in the box. And you can just use it with a light switch as a light, or you can control it with your phone. And for $36, if I was going to buy an LED light anyways, why not get one that does that? So I think it's, I think it's getting to a price threshold where, like the other, thing I, the other day I saw a two-pack of HomeKit uh, remote uh, AC outlet plugs for $40 for two of them, $20 each. That's not bad. That's, no, not, that's, that's, not, bad. that's not much worse than like getting a fancy timer. Right. That's much more reasonable than, say, the Philips U lights, right? Yeah, yeah. This, yeah. I think if you wanted to sell something on the in the Apple ecosystem, I think this is, I think there is, and perhaps not for you because it's maybe not an area you're interested in, but for folks that are kind of interested in this area, I think it's actually pretty fertile. Because there's not a lot here, but there's more and more demand, uh, especially now that Apple's re- reduced the barrier to ship this stuff and people have been able to retroactively add HomeKit support. That kind of made a big difference. Um, and I'd say the, the, uh, the, uh, the spousal approval factor is, is very high on this one, um, probably the highest I've ever had in a technology implementation, uh, because it also adds a new layer of functionality to the watch. Because all of this stuff can be cued and command and, con- and controlled by either tapping the watch or talking to the watch, which actually makes having that thing on your wrist with you all the time useful. Because it's actually more useful than, an, than a lady tube, because sometimes you're not in the right spot for a lady tube, but I can be at home, I can be here in the studio, and on the watch with one tap, I can pull up and see all of my HomeKit devices and see if anybody left the heater on. Or I can just hold down the uh, um, crown and I can just bark at Siri to, to turn on or turn off or turn up or turn down anything i want and it makes the watch quite useful so there's that too um but all right so i have talked too much about the apple aspect of it um so i want to talk about the pretty practical and very competitive open source way to manage HomeKit. first i'll mention DigitalOcean, digitalocean.com you go over there and you create an account once you have created this account of absolute power you apply our promo code coder digital one word you put it in there you get a ten dollar credit for this amazing service. 
$10 too. That's actually going to be quite a bit because for $5 a month, you could get a pretty great droplet. Everything has SSDs, fast processors, really fast transfer. And, you know, $10, $5 a month means two months for free. That's pretty great. You can deploy multiple different Linux distributions you'd like to choose from and free BSD. You can get started in less than 55 seconds. Their dashboard is very easy to use. And they have an API for when you're ready to go up to the next level. I want to talk about something new that I've been playing with over DigitalOcean. I'm blown away at the implementation. Uh, DigitalOcean has launched simple, reliable object storage. They call it Spaces. And you can, you, can just, you can go there and try it for two months for free right now. Go to DigitalOcean.com, create your account, use our promo code Coder Digital, and then try out Spaces. You can deliver any amount of data with the simplicity that you've come to expect from DigitalOcean, you can create instantaneous, cost-effective, reliable storage. You can spin something up with, a, with like a, say, like JBot using their API. They have a whole API for spaces. You could spin up storage when you need to store something for a few hours, and then programmatically you can destroy it later on. Um, or you can just go to their dashboard and just go click and create a space, generate a URL for it, set an expiration date, and have a shareable URL. And then if you just want to transfer large files around, just without ever writing a line of code, it's very simple to use spaces from the DigitalOcean dashboard. So it's got, I think, a ton of use cases. I'm really impressed with them with the way they've managed to implement object storage. And you know what? What else should I expect from DigitalOcean? It's how they do everything, but they really outdid themselves this time. Go check them out at DigitalOcean.com. They've got data centers for days, a dashboard you'll love. And you get a $10 credit when you use our promo code CODERDIGITAL over at DigitalOcean.com. Thank you, DigitalOcean. That's you, you got to play with that. That Spaces stuff is mind-blowing, mind-blowing. I had, a, I had a chance to chat with the developer of Home Assistant, the, the core developer. And uh, this is actually at the very beginning of my HomeKit journey. So if you go back and watch the Linux Action Special, whenever I did that episode, that's when I started researching uh, all of this home automation stuff for HomeKit and getting away from the Echo just to compare it. So it's been, I don't know, six, seven months now. And Home Assistant is an open source home automation platform that runs on top of Python 3. You can control all of these devices that are Echo devices or Bigsby devices, whatever Samsung calls them, um, and uh, and also HomeKit, because there is a rather well extensively developed um, Home Assistant plugin called HomeBridge, which brings total HomeKit management to Home Assistant. So without ever without ever having a Mac, or uh, actually Macs are irrelevant in HomeKit, uh, without ever having an iPhone or an iPad or an Apple TV you could still fully take advantage of the offline, c- encrypted, well-designed HomeKit platform, and including including even using Siri on your watch. Uh, and that's pretty neat. And, in fact, they have uh, examples of this, and they have uh, more and more support all the time. HomeKit's sort of been adding more and more support. They've been, they've been doing pretty good staying on top of it. So first you install Home Assistant, and then you install HomeKit. And, and now you're cooking with gas because you can start using things like Raspberry Pis, connected. You can start using these as HomeKit endpoints. You don't have and to go get expensive plugs. are you now part of the HomeKit collective? <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you start going to events, I think. When you start going to HomeKit meetups, maybe. Uh, but, you know, the, the thing about the Home Assistant and HomeBridge stuff is it lets you tinker with, like, uh, little little boards and little arm devices. You don't have to go the, get little, fancy little borgs. Is that, is that little borgs, yeah, little borgs. You don't have to go get the fancy expensive borgs from the stores. Um, so that's Home Assistant, and then the, then you get the Home Bridge that connects into Home Assistant. And I've tried it out, and it works really well. And it gives 
It gives you it gives you control of everything from one open source platform. All these different standards, it bridges all of them. And um, of course, it's written in Python too. So if you know a little Python, it's pretty easy to bang out plugins and whatnot. I got really good documentation. So it's a good way to start tinkering with this. See how this stuff works. And the other thing that's really nice about Home Assistant and HomeBridge is you get a, you get a real good understanding of how this whole thing works, about how HomeKit works on the back end. It's a real good deep dive into how this entire system works. It's both impressive and rigid um, and documented. And so I think it has a lot of the qualifications it would take for somebody that doesn't even have a ton of experience with this stuff to still write a pretty good app around it. Because there's lots of aspects to HomeKit that are there's, they're just not in the Home I app. Sense- I sense a weekend project you want to tell us about. <laughs> no, no, not for me. But uh, I just wanted to put it out there because I, whenever, whenever you nail these timings, so if, they, if they're going to launch the HomePod in December, they're going to probably feature apps that take advantage of HomePod in the App Store, in their new fancy single app App Store. And if you are one of those apps that works with HomePod, there's going to be a whole category of works with HomePod. And all of these Apple people, they're going to go out and buy their $400 speakers uh, are going to be looking for a couple of apps to put some value on that thing. And people that are in that category are going to get featured and they're going to make some money. And time is ticking. And it's not a particularly complicated app to make it's, because HomeKit does all the hard work. It's a ton of money, though. So they have to buy the HomePod speaker. They have to buy, or at the cheapest, they could buy those outlets, right? You yeah. buy the outlets yeah. and like, flip it. But... Yeah. Oh, I know. I it's, don't know. It, I, it, I think it's it's becoming more and more of a thing as the prices get down to well okay it's thirty bucks for a light bulb that's not too, too much more expensive than just a nice LED light bulb at the store and that's where we're getting well, to I, now it, it is significant right it's not an insignificant cost it seems you know it I think part of it is uh, it's it's extremely bizarre from the outside is and I try not to preface every conversation about this like this but if you've never done it if you've never used it. It seems like it's a whole lot of work and money to just avoid using a light switch. And it just seems bonkers. But then, once you implement it, you understand how much better it is and how, how really we probably should have been doing this maybe even 10 years ago. Uh, it's like, uh, I'll give you, you know, examples for me is I could constantly, when I'm working in the studio and I'm setting up for a live show, I'm over here on the OBS machine changing, a, changing dates and stuff like that. Uh, but I'm still barking at the Echo to activate different aspects of the studio and get things online for me while I'm over at another station with my hands full. Um, and then uh, the other the other night when I was coming home from New York, when we got an hour outside of the RV, I on my watch, just as I'm driving with my hand on the wheel, I just I woke my watch up, I flipped up the home kit button, and I turned on our bedroom lights, and I turned on the heater. So when we got home, it would be comfortable because the heater had been out for, you know, seven, eight days. And it's it's minor stuff, but it's like, why can't we do that? It seems obvious that we should be able to do that these days. And it's in an, in a way for me, it's it's sort of hopefully going to save me some money long term because I've put in some water sensors where I had leaks that I didn't know I was having right. leaks, and now I have taken precautions to try to alert me about that. I find it to be useful as hell, and I I was completely skeptical, and that's why I got a lady tube to begin with. Is I was like, you know what? I have been a skeptic about this so hard for so long. I got to try this and see if maybe I'm missing something. And when I did that, because they had the dots on sale, and I did that, uh, my tune started to change. And then when I had a chat with the home assistant developer, and uh, got to my got kind of understanding what he's working with, and played around with that, and then looked at HomeKit, um, I, I really think it's pretty good stuff. I think we're if we're gonna go this direction. It, it needs to be something like HomeKit. 
something that uh, where you don't have to have 15 different vendor apps that are total crap that they banged out and they're cross-platform and they're garbage. You don't have to do right. any of that. You don't have to have an internet connection. You don't have to have be. You don't have to be connected to any cloud service. I think this is it's a, it's a good model. It's just it, it is it is dangerously connected to Apple, and that's my biggest caution about it. That's why I promote things like the Home Assistant Project and Homebridge. I mean, there, there's definitely an opportunity here. My, my question is, you're asking regular people to make what amounts to a pretty significant investment. Yeah, I I think it's already happening. I'm not. I don't. I don't think so. I don't think I am because I think it's happening regardless if I if I talk okay. about HomeKit or not. I think that's that is beginning to change. Like when you walk into the when you walk into Best Buy, that whole front section of every Best Buy around here is all this home automation stuff, and uh, there's a there's a significant amount of it everywhere you go now. It's becoming extremely popular. Most of it's uh, Amazon focused. At this point, but now Apple's beginning to feature it in their stores. It's like, um, you know, it's like it's it's. Uh, I think it's uh, it's a slow burn because it's as you replace stuff, you just go this direction. Or right. I think there's probably a large burst around the holidays. You know, this is something I, m- I might buy my dad one of these LED light bulbs for Christmas, and or maybe a cu- maybe like a set. And so you'll see spikes around the holidays, and every year there's just more and more adoption. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I I suspect it's going to step up because now that we have this huge backlog of hardware coming over, and you have the new encryption requirements that make it easier for manufacturers, but still it's still a legitimate security model. It's just implemented via software instead of a certified hardware chip now. Uh, and you have the HomePod, which will bring um, home automation uh, like to everybody in the house. I think it's a good recipe. And Google seems to be along the same thought line too because they introduced the the Google Assistant Max or whatever it's called that's essentially a a home pod in a bucket on its side um so they seem to think it's a it's going to be a competitive product as well that's true that's true okay i put it out there i would say i'm not trying to convince anybody to go start a project but i would say don't undersell it right uh and i think i think west might have west might have sniffed something in the air cuz i think he's onto it i think he might be right He's a sniffy kind of guy. He is. <laughs> you know that Wes. Actually, he's a pretty he's a pretty well sniffing guy. He comes, you know, I think he comes with the cologne preloaded. He does. Mm-hmm. He's, mm-hmm. A, he's a gentleman of leisure, as they say. Yeah, yeah. Well, how are you, Mister Dominic? Are things well in Florida? Are you, have you settled down? Of any damages and uh, things like that? I don't know if we've talked much things, since you got back. No, we haven't talked much. No, things are well. It is, of course, four hundred degrees. Oh, is it still? Yeah, I was shocked. Oh, I have to tell you this. First of all, New York was hot as balls, but yeah, I was shocked. At how, was. I was shocked at how hot it was over there. So it's still hot, huh? Still hot down here. Wow. Um, yeah, it's Florida. I mean, I'm coding. I might be on a machine that's different than did, the one I was on the other day. Did you get a new Mac? Did you get a new Mac? Did I do that? And what happened there? Because I saw a comment about it, but I don't think I've heard that part of the show. Uh, uh, that's why you should leave Slack open. No, no, I thought you got a Galago Pro. So the Galago Pro went back? No. So you got you so you got a MacBook and a Galago Pro. Dude, so, that's ballin'. I gotta say that is super ballin'. <laughs> yes. Actually I, I did. So okay, hear me out. So first things first. I will put a link in the show notes. I'm very happy to say Buccaneer just shipped the uh, Fleet Week app for the Navy. So there you go for Fleet Week San Diego. On of course iOS and Android, if you want to give a good review to that, that'd be very helpful. Yeah, there you go. That would be nice. Secondly, uh, let's just say certain things have to be compiled on OS X. Oh, yeah, isn't that the truth? 
gigahertz OS 10 requires wow. a good old Mac. 2.9 gigahertz. That is screaming. Yeah. That, that's great. That's great. That's fantastic. That, was that your Googs? Was that your Googs, that, that was Googs, Googs in the tubes? That was, <laughs> I don't know what it thinks it heard. That was, that's Googs in the tubes for you. It just hears stuff randomly. I noticed that. But my, my lady tube does that too. She just sort of tunes in every now and then. Yeah. Once in a while, you know, I'll be making coffee and I'll be like, thank you. I will order you four pounds of coffee. Nope, nope, nope. Jeez, this thing is a straight up monster. You got the four gigs of RAM on the video card, which that I am straight up jealous of. That makes a huge difference on video rendering. It does. And uh, I'm sure I will be using it very briefly. Yeah. So, yeah, the thing is, uh, the the, the MacBook Pro is one of these weird, weird beasts because uh, it is by all intents and purposes dramatically underpowered. It's a Radeon Pro 560. But yet, they've written Final Cut in a way that it just squeezes every bit of frames per second when it's rendering video out of there that uh, if you put like a NVIDIA GTX 1080 uh, on a MacBook Pro via um, an eGPU, you get significantly worse rendering time, even though it's a significantly faster video card, simply because of how they've written Final Cut Pro. Um, and so if you, uh, if you keep, if you keep up with the YouTube video stuff and you use Final Cut, I think you'll notice how significantly yeah, faster Final Cut 10 is. To kind of up the video game, uh, I really, you know, we released a bunch of podcasts for Buccaneer and the video editing stuff on Linux wasn't ideal. Um, in fact, there was a good post somewhere in the subreddit about somebody going through the exact same problem of being like, oh, the stuff, you know, video editing isn't great, but really it's so I can write in my language of choice, which is of course. Objective C. Hey, well, um, congrats on the new rigs. Uh, that's uh, no wonder why you're giving me a hard time. I see it was uh, misdirection. I understand now. I'm on to you, Mr. Dominic. I'm on to so, you. So I'm using Mac at work and Linux at home. Oh, and I also got a physical office space since you left me for three weeks. Really? So you got the physical space, and I'm sorry, I got a mm-hmm. process and Mac in the workspace. You're going. Well, why that? Because last time we talked, you were actually kind of considering uh, Pop OS in the workspace. So we had a little mutiny. Oh. The folks want to, quote, I, you will take my gold MacBook from me when you pry it from my cold dead hands. <laughs> the gold MacBook. Yes. It's, you know who you are, Dave. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. It's a, it's a very aptly, it's sort of like an orchard situation I'm in. But I will give one thing to, to Mac hardware. This thing holds a charge. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm impressed that I can even edit video and it still manages to actually do reasonably well. Yeah. I I really I lived the so I brought two laptops with me. I brought my I got a new Librem 15, which uh, nice. is really nice, and I brought that as my main daily driver for the Ubicon. So like when I went to talks and stuff, that was the one I'm taking notes on, or if I'm doing emails back in the in the hotel room. And then I brought the MacBook Pro, which is my I basically that's my Final Cut OS machine, and uh, that's what I use it for. And so that's what I used while we were driving because that's when I would edit. And I, for hours, like 12-hour editing sessions, ran the entire time off of USB-C and a cigarette adapter that Noah recommended. And it, and it pumps out like 65 watts. And I was able to run my MacBook off of a cigarette adapter for like 12 hours of intensive, intensive time-lapse rendering all on the GPU, like just a madman. It was, I was liking the USB-C lifestyle at that moment. I still am not liking the USB-C lifestyle. Yeah, in totality, it's kind of a pain in the arse. I still want my headphone jack. I want to be able to plug things into the headphone interface and like mess with Raspberry Pi. Well, oh, now you're mixing up, mix, mix, mixing up device. All right, so 
Now, I got to say, you gave me a very helpful piece of uh, advice before I left for New York, and I want to thank you. You said, uh, don't get upset if somebody says, go fuck yourself. That's basically uh, New York for hello. And uh, so that set the bar. And I'm like, so I'm preparing myself for people to be hostile. And for the most part, you know, there was only one time somebody was exceedingly rude, and they were rude to Noah, not me. So it, oh, I got to say thank you because because of that, I was like I was prepared. So like mild rudeness or like uh, impatience totally just didn't even phase me because I was prepared just, just for go fuck right yourself. Yeah, I was ready for right. the F-bombs yeah. all day. And I'm like, no, nope, this is good. These aren't F-bombs. I'm OK. <laughs> so thank you. That helped a lot. That was good advice. Uh, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. I thought I would hate New York. I'm going to be honest with you. I thought it was going to be awful. The only thing awful about it is it was 87, 88 degrees and it is moist and stinky in New York. And so it is a hot, wet, sticky. I was taking showers twice a day in New York. I was just, I had to shower in the morning and in the evening because I felt gross after being outside. But other than that, really loved it. Did you go on the subway at all? I didn't get a chance to go on the subway. That's one of my my big regrets. I know. I thought that was the case. I thought I would need to, but. You know, the thing is, I was there to work, and so there's, I had to balance it. I got to go out a few times, but I had to – I think the best time was when I went out at night because it was a little cooler, and it's just about as crowded as downtown Seattle is during the day at night in New York. So it's about my level of population. That's what I'm used to in Seattle, and so I was able to really just fit in at New York at night. Uh, that was nice. nice. I was surprised by how much I liked it, actually, because I thought I would hate the hell out of it. Um, I thought people would – I just thought I'd be overwhelmed. But people just mind their own space. I only made eye contact with like six people. Nobody looks at you in New York. Nobody nope. will make eye contact with you. It's just they go about their own business. I literally was counting. It was six people. I'm, here I am, some dumbass from the Pacific Northwest, like ready to smile and nod to everybody walking by. Nobody paid any attention to me. Nobody's looking at you now. No, which was a, we're made for interesting contrast because we on the way back to Seattle, we went via Utah because we, we, we kind of cut through Colorado and Wyoming and we, we landed in Salt Lake City. And I, it was a totally different experience because not only is it way less people, so that was a huge culture shock change, but everybody looks at you and they just keep looking at you. They just stared at us like <laughs> it was really uncomfortable going from New York to Salt Lake City. Uh, but it was a good experience and uh, yeah, your, your tip was very good. helpful. I'm glad it was. New York is kind of its own little environment in a place. Yeah, it is. It's like its own microcosm of society. It's fascinating. Um, and the homeless situation is horrible there, but it's just like they're just yeah. part of the scenery in a sense. Like you just be walking around, there'll be like some gorgeous marble staircase with these big pillars. And at the base of the pillar, some homeless person has just completely taken it over and made their home. I'm just laying uh, right there. Did you have, have occasion to go into Penn Station at all? I went into Grand Central Station. Um, okay. And I really that enjoyed works. that. I really liked that. That was nice. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I went to uh, Times Square at night. Okay. Of course. Which was the full experience. And uh, we yeah. did a little walking around <laughs> and did some shopping. I went to B&H and uh, I, put, I put some of these, youtube.com slash Chris Fisher. I put some of these in the vlog too if you want to see some of the stuff. The B&H one is a, is a great experience because that's like the broadcaster's bouncy house. It's just the best place ever for anybody in, the, in this industry. And so going in there was like a real treat because I've only ordered from them online for ages. I've never been able to right. go into the store. So that was pretty neat. Uh, it was a good experience. No, that's good. I'm, I'm glad you moved, survived Manhattan. Uh, I did. It's expensive there. Wow. And everybody I was is really well-dressed. I really felt underdressed the yeah. entire time. I, it was kind of embarrassing. Yeah, I had to uh, change my mode of dress when I got down to Florida. Yeah, I bet. I, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very expensive way to dress up there in New York. And everybody is very attractive. And uh, a lot of midriffs on, on the ladies and a lot of suits yep. on the guys. And it's all, they're all in on it. 
you basically got the full tour. <laughs> well, very good. Very good. You know, I'm going to, I've been recommending a book on user error, and I'm going to leave us with a book recommendation, if you don't mind. It's not necessarily no? uh, development related directly, although I think it gives you extremely good insight around communities, around your apps or projects. And it's, it's very valuable from that standpoint. And if you get it on Audible, it's only like a two and a half hour or three hour read. It's pretty short, and it's, I think the entire thing's compelling. It's backed by research that you can download independently. It's called Tribe, just T-R-I-B-E, not with an S. Uh, Tribe on Homecoming and Belonging by Sebastian Junger, I think. And uh, I got it on Audible, but you can also get it on Amazon. And I recommended this a couple of weeks ago on User Air, and I've been hearing from people that got it and said, I really like this book. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to extend the recommendation to the Coda Radio audience, Tribe. And if you are an Audible customer, consider it. We do, I think, have an Audible link for affiliate at the bottom of the JB website. And I don't know if it works or not, but if you're not an Audible customer and you want to try clicking that link, go ahead. I'd appreciate it. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. You'll get to Audible one way or the other, though. Tribe, Mr. Dominic. It's pretty, pretty good if you get a chance to try it. Oh, I'm going to try yeah, Oh, I'm going to try it. All right. Well, so uh, it's good to be back with you. Uh, we're on a Monday this week. Now, what do you think? Mondays or Thursdays going forward? What should, what should we tell the folks that want to tune in live? Uh... I'm I'm good either way. What uh? How do you feel about it? Hmm. Hmm. Let's try Mondays again for a bit. Let's try okay. it because or that that could Mondays. work for me for my project schedule for the next few weeks, and then it, we'll just Sounds check good. in and see what we think. All right. So guys, go to jupiterbroadcasting.com/slash/calendar to get the live time converted in your local time. But uh, just as a rough guesstimate, we do this uh, noon Pacific time, three p.m. Eastern, over jblive.tv on a Mondays. Now you can also get a hold of us. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com/slash/contact and choose Coda Radio, or even better, go to codaradio.reddit.com and join in on the feedback thread there. That's a really nice spot for me personally because I can check that before the show in kind of a quick burst. So really appreciate that. Coderadio.reddit.com. Follow Mr. Dominic online at Dumanuko and also go to Buccaneer.io and check them out. They always got interesting and good stuff. And of course, the Mad Botter. See what Alice is up to and all those shenanigans. Thank you for being here. Appreciate it. And we'll see you right back here next week. Next week.